Good morning or good evening and welcome Matthew Grant here and for those of you in the US happy Thanksgiving and by the way you're not alone in plugging us in or have you listen over 25% of our listeners come from North America that's close to 50,000 episodes downloaded well this week I'm talking to Glyn Austin Brown and Michael Cook both partners at PwC now one of the questions we're often asked is how are insurers getting on going truly digital not just wrapping technology around legacy but starting with a completely fresh approach is that possible and if so how do the new and the old work together well Michael has some observations on that and Glyn picks out some of his favorite themes from PwC's recent report exploring insurance in 2025. And after a busy year at Instec, we're pausing our events, dinners and workshops through to the end of the year. But our research team will be working on our reports and continuing to build out our knowledge of over 700 companies supporting insurers with data and analytics around the world. Let us know if you want to find out more about that. Okay, here's Glyn and Michael. Glyn, Michael, we've been spending a long time waiting to get you to have this discussion. So really pleased to bring the two of you together and learn more about what PwC is doing. Now, PwC, of course, needs no introduction to most people, but probably useful to talk a little bit about what you're doing. In insurance. So you're doing a variety of things, audit, tax, you've got a risk business unit and delivering outcomes and solutions versus consulting and your deals business. We're going to dig into those a little bit more. Globally, you are $3.5 billion across insurance with 15,000 people. Pretty significant that. And delighted to have both of you as partners at PwC talking to me today. And again, going to be talking a little bit more about what the two of you do as well. So Glenn, Michael, welcome. Thanks for inviting us on to be be part of the podcast. Glenn, for you, first of all, if you're describing what you do at a party so that someone remembers and gets enthused by what you're doing, how would you describe your role at PwC? Okay, well, thanks, Matthew. Firstly, probably I wouldn't be talking about it at a party, but no doubt if I was asked the question, uh, I'd describe it. So I'm a consulting partner, and what I do is essentially technology-enabled business transformation, predominantly in the GI sector, but also double in the specialty market as well. And what that means is it's technology implementation, but true transformation in the sense that it's very much human led. So it's all about taking the people on the journey because that is the essence of making these transformations a success. I know digital transformation. I think I'll hang around and finish my drink and hear what you've got to say. Uh, GI, for those that don't know, that is general insurance as opposed to the London market specialty. Michael, how about you? Are we, are we going to continue our conversation once we've heard what you, you do? For me, it's really about helping the insurance industry change and realize the potential that it has in the technology available today. But what that means in terms of business outcomes, I think one of the things that we often do not talk about is actually why are we doing this? Why should insurers do this? What difference does it make? The thing I always like to come back to is that we are having outcomes that impact everyone's lives day to day, big corporations and individuals, and how important that is. But if we don't change, we can't offer the value that we need to to those customers and we can't really carry out that value to society that we really should be bringing. Two things in there you said, I'm really pleased you mentioned. One is the why and the other is the outcomes because as we all three of us know, one of the challenges often people have building technologies, they get a bit obsessed by technology and sort of forget to ask, well, what does, the, what does their insurance client or potential client actually want? And I think you've taken it one step further, which is not just what they want, but how do you actually measure that and get clarity around the outcomes? So yeah, looking forward to digging in some real specific case studies. But so, Michael, just to sort of continue with that theme and then more specifically what you want to talk about today of all the things you're doing, what, what are we going to be 
hearing from you about in the next uh, 25 minutes or so. For Michael, the main focus is London and in particular, the Lloyds market. That market through the brokers and through the, the insurers themselves is going through the biggest period of change that it has done in its nearly 400 year history and why that's going through it and why that's so important uh, and how actually it's everything from that front end digital distribution all the way through to the back end digitization of processes, et cetera. And the role technology has to play in that, but also the role that we have to help that and what that means for the people within that marketplace and ultimately the customers. And I want to come back on that word digitalization because there is quite a specific definition of that versus adding digital approaches to the way people are doing business. Just to, just to make sure I'm kind of understanding this the way you're talking about it. Digitalization to me means you actually start afresh, you go completely digital as opposed to you're trying to build some tech around legacy or, or something else. Is that the fair way to describe what you've just said with that word digitalization and therefore by implication what people are needing to do now? That is absolutely a fair way to describe it. And I think the other view is the risk that exists if you don't do it right, that you actually you just build some, you know, you wrap around existing technology, which we've seen, for example, historically in the banking sector, wrapping around, you know, legacy AS400 mainframes. Yeah, so it's not that, it is definitely moving to a digital way of working, operating and technology. Yeah, and I, I would say most organizations now recognize the need to do it. The big question is how to do it. I mean, Glenn, your same question for you. There's a whole load of things we could talk about. What specifically should we spend the time discussing with you today? It's very much linked to what Michael just said. We've recently re produced a report called Insurance 2025 and Beyond. And in that, it's identified five key kind of trends that are obviously going to play out over the market. And if I can quickly rattle through those trends, first one is obviously there's a widening trust gap and there's some shocking stats, not just in regards to the trust gap, but also um, basically the protection gap as well, which we'll no doubt come on to in a bit. Obviously, there's the rapidly evolving customer needs and preferences. We've all seen that people are now pushing insurers to be more than just a risk transfer mechanism. They want, you know, insurers to be able to provide advice around prevention, intervention, et cetera, and provide more end-to-end -end services that potentially bring in other adjacent sectors. Obviously, there's the point Michael raised around clearly there's this increasing digital and AI-driven world that we now all operate within. And what we're seeing actually in the market and what this report plays out is this increasing convergence and collaboration between not just insurtechs and insurers, but also other distribution platforms. And obviously we've seen the news yesterday with Amazon Insurance Store, but you know other distribution plays as well. And then you look at obviously climate risk and you look at the focus on sustainability. You then overlay the volatility we've got in the market at a macroeconomic level and also clearly locally, politically, and then the economic markets. And you suddenly realize actually insurers are faced with the prospect of having to be able to adapt. And therefore that requires speed and agility. And that is in all senses, not just from an IT estate perspective, but also in the ways of working. Yeah, quite a lot in there. So just let me just run through those just to make sure we've captured them all. And then your report is available online. So we can put a link to that in the episode notes for anybody that wants to find it. But it's uh, the PwC report, insurance in 2025 and beyond, I think you said. But first of all, the trust gap, which yeah, the, the sort of historical challenge insurers have had of their consumers feeling they get full value, how do, you, how do they close that gap? And you also mentioned the insurance protection gap in there where the insurance system simply isn't available. 
the customer needs uh, and how that's now starting to develop with things like protection and beyond just simple coverage, but actually helping to reduce the risk in the first place. The third one I got from you was you know, moving to digital and AI. And what does that allow insurance to do? We can all think of lots of examples where that's moving, maybe not as fast as we might have thought it would, but certainly in the right direction. I'm pleased you had that convergence collaboration. And I, I think it's really intriguing what's happening from outside of insurance. Some of the organizations that are bringing analytics in there, whether it's embedded or just other ways of data that can support some of the analytics. And of course, you know, no supplies, climates in there. In terms of the difference between, if there is one, sort of homeowners, you know, retail insurance versus commercial, was this looking at covering everything or was this more focused around one category rather than another? No, no, it looked at everything. So we interviewed insurers, insurtechs across all different markets, across all different lines of business. Yeah, interesting to see that breaking news about Amazon. So they are now not yet offering insurance directly, although watch that space, but they seem to be coming into the aggregator market uh, or com- the comparison sites and offering insurance from some other organizations. Just wanted to get your perspective on that and you might know a little bit more about who they're actually offering insurance through or from. Yeah, sure. So I think it's it's very much Amazon's first step and foray into the insurance market. So they're working, I think it's with a GSLV and co-op as obviously the providers of capacity and essentially they're taking on um, the price comparison websites. So the aggregators. And I think that's that's the strategy. And then are those five themes you mentioned from a personal point of view, just given your experience of what you're seeing with your customers and you know, what you've seen in the past, were there, was there anything that stood out that was a surprise for you, either the, the sort of how important it is or maybe the speed of progress in it of those or within those five themes? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean the, the, the startling stat that stood out and that's in the report is the protection gap. I think when we first did this analysis back in 2020 with that protection gap was sitting at about 1.4 trillion. By 2025, it's going to be 1.86 trillion. So, and a large proportion of that is in probably the Southeast Asian markets and Asia Pacific. Clearly, where you've got you know the likes of Indonesia, Malaysia, huge populations that are clearly under underinsured. So, as any insure tech out there, those are potentially markets to target. But that's one thing I guess we've all got to work on is how we reduce that that huge protection gap. But then the key thing I'd like to discuss really today is that that convergence and collaboration piece because what we're seeing in the market is an awful lot of investment being put towards you know different distribution platforms, different digital platforms, as we've seen as we just discussed. Um, you know, Amazon getting into this market. And before there was, there was often a bit of tension I used to sense between insurers and insurtechs. You know, we want your data. We're worried about how much of market share you're going to take. But what we're seeing now is loads more collaboration in the market, which I think is a really positive thing. And then you, you mentioned insurtech in there. Everyone today has got a slightly de- different definition of what that means. Are you using that in a sense of earlier stage companies or is that now, as many people are now using it, technology that's supporting insurance companies, whether it's from an early stage company or one that's been going for 30 or 40 years? Yes, I think it's it, it's more the latter. I mean, uh, yeah, traditionally, we normally have two definitions of insurtech. But there's those insurtechs that are new in the market, the Lemonades, Zegos of this world. And then there's enabling capabilities, which are predominantly the technology providers that are also using the definition of insurtech. And we use both the same, really. Okay. But they, they can they didn't necessarily have to start seven years ago when the term insurtech was coined. It can go back further than that. Yes. Okay, good. And then the reason I ask is that I, maybe you've, you know this, well, you probably do know this directly from talking to your insurance clients, but I feel there's been a period when that concept of insurtech got a bit of bad reputation and you pointed to one of those, which is some of you know, the companies that came in and, and said they're going to disrupt the market and 
challenge the insurers now we're moving more to collaboration. And then, of course, some of these companies on the public markets haven't done so well. Is that itself a challenge now, the concept of the insure tech or the early stage company, or, or is the issue more to the one you pointed to, which was there's just a natural tension between things like sharing data and the value of data, and, and therefore, yeah, there's a, a more of a systemic issue related to between companies sharing data and technology versus more specific around the early stage ones. What we see is, you know, there's still really strong fundamentals within, within that sector. And actually, it's still a really exciting sector, particularly for those that are enabling technologies that are going to work with traditional insurers to help with new capabilities, whether they be analytics, whether they be technology. Those organizations we think are doing, are still going to do pretty well. Well, I can't let you say you're excited without now asking you for an example of, of what's getting you excited from some practical applications you've seen out with your clients or elsewhere. Yes. I mean, if, if you just look at the amount of collaboration going on in the market, you just look at what, say, for instance, some of, you know, the insurtechs that were on our recent scale program, the likes of Instanda, Send, you know, Instanda working extensively with Hiscox. You've got Send working extensively with Aviva. You've got Admiral with Fintech OS. You've got Zurich doing lots with Lacker and Sprout AI and claims. You know, we're seeing, you know, what you talked about earlier in regards to that tension between insurers wanting to hold their, their data actually beginning to loosen the reins on that and collaborating much more with InsurTechs to bring in new capabilities within their organization and to do it faster. You mentioned Aviva Admiral Zurich in there. What characterizes the companies, the insurance companies that have successfully collaborated with these technology organizations versus those that have struggled to do so? So I think it's twofold. I think clearly if you look at what most insurers in the UK and how they've grown through acquisition over the years, they've got a highly complex IT estate. And so often when you create a proof of concept, proof of value, whatever you want to call it, it's relatively easy to do it in a self-contained manner. When you then try to scale that capability, it's much harder because there's so many more things to integrate with. So clearly, if insurers have got a more modern digital IT estate, it's easier to collaborate. If they've got a different way of working in regards procurement and IT and a more open sharing kind of way of working, then you're seeing InsurTechs being able to one, scale, and two, actually succeed in, in those markets where they can actually share data. Michael, this sounds very similar to what you were talking about at the beginning here, the area you wanted to, to take us, which is how do companies successfully digitalize, is that the right word, as opposed to build technology that's sort of wrapping around existing systems and, and move more slowly and some of the challenges for that. So what are the companies that are doing that are successful that yeah, Glenn's kind of given us a hint in terms of the, the digital estate. So I think it really comes down to two things. The first is a recognition that actually we live in a time when we can redefine how we do things based on technology. If I look at the insurance industry today, we've effectively taken a manual process and we put it into a computer. That's, that's what we've done predominantly. We've, we've not reimagined what that process could look like. We've not looked at different value exchanges. We've not looked at what that means from an employee or a customer experience. So I think the first thing is actually reimagining how we work based on what technology enables us to do today. And that really means bringing together people who understand the business and people who understand technology. Ideally, people also understand data because that's the thing that powers the business and the technology. The second aspect I think is then looking more practically at the IT estate, which comes back to Glyn's point, and really as much as you can, building that new, not wrapping around legacy. 
we would refer to it quite often, technology concrete. You know, you are effectively making it slightly softer on the edges, but you still can't penetrate into the technology concrete. The only way you can really start to get the full benefit of that modern technology and access data is by building new and actually then moving what you need to from that legacy world to new, not what we've seen happen a lot historically, where people have tried something and it may be a proof of concept, it may be even a startup business as a greenfield. And then over time, they then absorb that back into the traditional estate. So effectively, they just added that back into all the complexity that they had previously. And in fact, actually made it even more complex. Whereas if you do it the other way around, you can actually then move things across. And how you do that, I think, becomes particularly important. I love that term technology concrete, although I don't love the concept. I want to get your thoughts on something that we're seeing that is a kind of pointer to how slowly we're moving towards this. So when we talk to insurance companies about the problems they want to solve, and it comes back to your point about the, the why and the outcome, within the top three consistently is being able to extract data from PDFs and spreadsheets and emails, which clearly points out that the, the digital exchange of information is not there. You know, it's still making its way into a document. That document has to get extracted. Why do you think people find it so difficult to actually get digital data input from ultimately the client and then, and then flow it all the way through to the, uh, to the insurer at the end? I think it probably comes back actually to, to three fundamentals. The first is that when people are thinking about data, they don't go back to true source. What they look at is the entry point to their organization as opposed to the true source of that data. So if you took you know, a submission process, which comes in via email as a PDF attachment, Actually, if you just took, go back one step to the broker that sent that to you, the broker has that document in native form. But often people don't think about that. People don't go back to the client and actually capture that data, particularly obviously in intermediated markets. They don't go back to that and, and get capture the data at source. So again, it comes back to my point of they're not thinking about how to use technology to reinvent how they work. They're still looking at how they work today and then applying technology to it. So it's a change in that thinking. I think this, the second aspect is that when it comes to that data, it's really looking at that data to understand where the value sits. So insurance companies have always had this kind of fortress mentality to their data. They want all the data inside their, their fortress and they want to be able to keep that data and use that data. But they haven't really looked at it in terms of, okay, but where's the value in that data? Again, historically, most of that data fed reporting. That's what it was for. It wasn't really for insight. It wasn't for customer proposition. And we come back to the Amazon example. Amazon are using their data exactly to support customers. They're using customer insight. Insurers don't often really think about that. We are seeing some of that more in the general insurance sector, but it's still in its infancy compared to the likes of you know, Amazon or Tesco and how they use club card data, for example. And I think the third aspect of it is looking at how you can get some of those quick wins in unlocking that value. So for example, moving data into the cloud, that makes your data far more accessible because you can use very different tooling to extract values. And that cloud tooling is much more focused on unlocking value than it is in terms of the physical world, which is much more about reporting. So I think for me, it's those, it's those three aspects where we see people get that right and move that across that data first that then starts to enable a lot faster transformation because you understand the value of the asset you've got. You also understand what you also need in terms of additional data. So where you need to augment, where you need to supplement. 
So, so what I'm hearing is this problem is solvable in, in steps. And, and actually, back to your point about how the data was acquired, the sort of frustrating thing is, is most of this data is now being acquired digitally. I mean, people are not filling in handwritten insurance submission forms. I mean, someone types it in and then it ends up in a PDF file somewhere and someone has to go and extract it. So part of this, your solution is, okay, collect the data. You can then put the data into the cloud so you can use all of the power of the cloud and the analytics. And then you can start to bring it back in to continue your digitalization as opposed to you've got to completely rebuild your entire workflow from customer through to, I guess, portfolio management capacity and the claims process. Is that, is that, is that a sort of way of interpreting what you said about the use of cloud? Exactly. And it's breaking down that transformation, that digitization into achievable blocks that will demonstrate value quickly, because otherwise your alternative is you are on, you know, a five to 10 year transformation journey, which we still see many people undertake, but that's your alternative. And I think when it comes back to, I think Glenn mentioned speed and agility earlier, which particularly with the world we're in now, you know, we're not in steady state world anymore. We are now in a, a very volatile world. Speed and agility are going to become increasingly important for insurers. And therefore, a five-year transformation program is neither fast nor agile. So the ability to deliver things quickly will become increasingly important with the period we're in and the period we're likely to be in for some years to come. And so, Michael, when an insurance company is talking to you, what's, I don't know if it's a typical, use, a typical case, maybe they're, they're quite a wide range, but is that somebody at the business level or even you know, the, the CEO level saying, PwC, can you help us figure out how we go digital? And therefore, in a sense, you've got complete freedom how to do it, but also you've got to educate them. But you're to some extent de-risking it because you're not saying it's a five to 10 year project and it's got massive investment and you've got to wait to be able to use it. Or is, that, is this coming through the technology people who've been asked you know, or targeted by the CEOs to, to move more, more digital? Because the reason I ask that question is that there's a fear from the sort of most senior leveling companies about technology, what's the right technology to use, how do I do it? So I'd just be interested in if, if there is a typical sort of example about how you might work with a large insurance company to help them figure this out. I would say increasingly we see CEOs and COOs asking these questions. It doesn't matter whether you're in the general insurance sector or, you know, the, the specialty sector, uh, sector or the, you know, the, the London markets. Everyone sees what's happening around them. Everyone sees, you know, brokers are looking to move more digitally in their distribution. Uh, you've got customers demanding, you know, much more live interaction. So the people who run the core of the business and the most senior people are asking these questions. On the second point, though, there is still a, but I think particularly in the less mature technologically based markets. So the London market being a prime example, which has not historically been a, you know, a, a user of cutting edge technology, I think would be fair to say. There is still that question of what technology should we use? So part of, you know, how we typically work with our clients in that market is one, helping them figure out what they need to do based on where they are, but also what the tools are that are available, what options there are available, and also the sequence of how they do things. Because that comes back to that, I guess, both the value that they can unlock, but also making sure they're making the right technology choices. Because, you know, let, let's be honest, the industry is scattered with many, many projects that have cost tens, if not more, of millions of pounds that have either been stopped or failed to deliver in terms of benefit. 
And no senior executive wants to be the person that places that scenario. On that last point, we had one of the people who was talking at our events recently about their report looking at change and how to measure the benefits of change. And this terrible statistic that 81% of people that had embarked on projects were not clear about how to measure the success of that project. You know, someone has clearly failed. So I guess that means you should measure success, but some didn't even know whether it succeeded or not. I mean, it's, ext- it's extraordinary, really, when you think about it. You mentioned there the London market or the specialty market is a little bit behind. I would actually characterize it a little bit differently, which is there's a, there's a widespread of adoption there. In my experience, there are companies that actually have adopted technology very early on. I mean, one's very slightly trivial, but it's sort of as an example is I remember Beasley in the early days had a webcam pointing at their box in Lloyd's. So you, 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 as a broker, you could see who was queuing up. Yeah, it wasn't very clever technology, but it was just quite helpful. And then in my, my own background in catastrophe modeling, people were using it. And I, I think sometimes that's an excuse people to use, which is, well, the London market is a bit old fashioned and slow. And I go, well, it's actually not. It's actually incredibly innovative at rights business. And it can be innovative if it wants to focus on technology. This has to see it as a, as a strategic competitive advantage to do it and, and not give up on it. But finally, Michael, I just want to ask you about technical debt as well, because we hear that term occasionally. To me, it's, it's, it's a really powerful concept about really getting sand in the gears, slowing things down. You're the incremental costs you often don't see by not upgrading technology. But is that also what we're talking about here, technical debt? And maybe you've got a more articulate description of it or more technical description of it than, than how I described it. We are definitely talking about technical debt when you were talking about the benefits and people not measuring the benefits. I think technical debt is one of those things that also is not often considered in terms of either what you already have in terms of technical debt or what you may further add in terms of technical debt. And I guess the simplest way that that I would look at technical debt is that it's effectively spend that you are making in the technology area that ultimately you are going to throw away or dispose of because you don't need that longer term. And it may well be that actually you inherit quite a lot of technical debt on a balance sheet, for example, with an acquisition, because, you know, companies, when they spend money on technology, they, they obviously, they, they earn that out over a period of time on their, their balance sheet. So it's definitely a thing to, to factor in. I think particularly when you're looking at how you do things, though, because it can make sense to spend some money in the short term that you know is only tactical and therefore you are creating more technical debt in order to get you to where you want to because that actually delivers some other short-term benefit. And therefore, when you look at that in terms of the balance between technical debt and benefit realisation, it's worth spending that money. However, if you don't look at the technical debt aspect, then you're missing a piece in that, in that analysis. And sometimes when you do look at it, actually, it doesn't make any sense and therefore go ultimately to end state solution rather than do those intermediate stages. But as more and more technology is used, and we see yeah, many clients who have three or four of the same sets of tooling across their enterprise, whether that be a CRM layer or whether that be policy admins, you know, there are insurers who have 20 plus policy admins. So when you look at that amount of historical technical debt, it is vast. The other place just finally on technical debt and that historical IT that it really does start to cause an issue is the run cost, where you have those vast legacy estates that are obviously covered with that, you know, technical debt, if I can put it that way, the cost to keep those things running only goes up. And when you look at how much for some insurers of their IT budget is spent just on keeping the lights on 
maintaining those estates, it really stifles innovation because you're having to spend so much money just keeping the ticket open. And I can completely empathize with companies that have all these systems. I mean, we've been going five years, you've got 17 people, then we've got five CRM or customer relationship management systems already. So it is really, really hard to not allow that to sort of blossom or at some point to say, right, I'm going to stop and consolidate it. But your point there is sometimes you need to, to allow the technical debt, but you have to measure it. Yeah, again, it just comes back to that consistent theme. Glenn, anything you want to add to anything that, that Michael's said in there? We don't want to paint a damning picture on the insurance sector. I think what we're seeing is that an awful lot of the traditional insurers are actually trying to simplify their core and looking to modernize, transition to cloud. I think it's just the point that we've got to be much more measured in how we determine what the outcomes are going to be and then actually, you know, be brutally honest with ourselves about delivering to those outcomes. And I think a putting a premium on execution is really where I think we're going to see the market move more towards and you know, being much more held to account in regards to delivering the outcomes. I just come back to that measurement one there because we've all been around a few years in insurance and business. We're talking about data metrics. People you know, these days generally coming into insurance are quite numerate. I don't know if you can sort of cast your mind back and think about the difference you know, a decade or so ago, but would you say, and I'll, I'll give you first of all, Michael, interest in your view, are your clients getting more and more interested in those metrics, KPIs, you know, ways of actually, you know, we, we talked about challenges of measuring change, but is, is there, are, they, are you generally finding a very receptive audience when you're talking about it that way? Or are people still not quite connecting the fact they're using data to underwrite and price, but it's not so material in their core business decisions? No, I would say we're definitely seeing an increased prominence of the use of you know, data metrics, you said KPIs, sizing, and actually in, in all life cycles of of work. So for example, when people are even considering you know, an operating model, for example, they often want to see metrics on comparative operating models. You know, are we out of whack effectively with, with people of similar organizations? How are we assessing whether we make that investment, which order, which investments? So it undoubtedly, we are seeing data and, and that insight drive a lot more in terms of thinking and decision-making. And I guess that the way I heard it referenced that uh, an industry event last week was that we started to use this term data driven. But actually, I think when you think about it, it's a case now of how do we technology and data enable people mm. to make better decisions? Because it's not the data driving us or the technology driving us. It's actually using those things to better inform us to make decisions. But as you say, not just in the underwriting space, it's on how we run our business how we optimize our distribution, how we handle claims, how we deliver benefits front to back of the organization. Definitely changing for the good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we could do a whole discussion on just that, how to measure. And, I, and I'm really pleased you brought the people element into it because ultimately it does all come down to people. How do you use the data to make decisions? But we'll save that for another time. Glenn, just coming back to you and, and your re report or, or the PwC report, just to make sure we'd, we'd leave on another good note, what would you call one of the more encouraging findings or predictions from your report as we look out to the future? The openness of insurers to really take on that convergence and collaboration point. You know, we're, we're seeing much more success with it, these programs where there's multiple different parties associated with them. You know, it's not just a case that we're going to go to one SI and that SI is going to run a five-year transformation program and hopefully at the end of that we'll get an outcome. It's actually we're going to go with multiple different providers and we're going to look at different insurtech capabilities so we can have a bit more of a diverse view in how to deliver the, the program. 
but really being much more open and collaborative around who they work with and bring in multiple insurtechs at one time in order to enable, whether it be the value chain or, or different capabilities within a technology program. Yeah, and, and we're definitely seeing that and very pleased to be supported by over 50 insurance companies, I think now. One major German actually, insurer actually has now more of a way signed up 80 people on the website to sort of get access to our reports and what we're doing. And so we're definitely seeing that you know, desire to be more connected to businesses of all sizes. Michael, our time is almost up. I've enjoyed our virtual drink having this, this chat, but we've got to, all got to move on. Going back to my first question and, and just of all things you talked about, above all else, what do you want people to remember about what you're doing at PwC and what they should be thinking about when it comes to how they're looking at their own technology? What I want people to take away is don't, don't walk away from this and think this is tomorrow's problem. It's today's problem. And if we don't start fixing it today, tomorrow will only be a, a, an absolute crisis for you to deal with. So start now. Love to chat to anyone a bit more and feel free, please, to contact me via, via LinkedIn. And I think you know, you'll supply our contact information, but very happy to chat to anyone about why that's so important. Great. Well, Michael Cook, PwC, LinkedIn. Uh, and Glenn, similar question for you. What should people remember about what we've talked about today? Well, thanks, Matthew. I mean, obviously, please don't hesitate to have a conversation with us. Michael, I would love to speak to you, whether you be an insurer and an, or an insurtech. Please do read the report. And obviously, if there's things in there about how to transition to cloud, what is an architecture that looks nimble and, and agile, we can have a discussion with you. We can show some of our assets to, to bring it to life. Well, Glenn, Michael, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much for your support for Instech as well as a member. I'm sure we'll see you and some of your colleagues at the events we're doing later this year and early into next year. But with that, uh, as I said, time to get on and speak to some other people. But thank you very much. Cheers, Matthew. Thank you. Thanks, Matthew. Hi, I'm Tara, one of the research analysts at Instech. Our upcoming report, From Admin Systems to Ecosystems, Enhancing Services Through Partnerships, will launch on the 8th of December and will inform the insurance industry of the service, data, and customer engagement opportunities that are evolving from the administration ecosystem model. This report aims to highlight the strategies of current administration ecosystems and the areas in which they specialize. The report will be available to download from our website's report section for free. Well, it's always useful hearing from those that are supporting insurers and we're delighted to have PwC as one of our corporate members. If you'd like to know more about what we're doing at Instec, you can see what we're up to at www.instec.co and I recommend the report section or contact me and anyone else on hello at instec.co or Matthew Grant on LinkedIn. That's it. We're done.